Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rock Star Discovered His Greatest Purpose. That's the book written by Mark Stewart of Audio Adrenaline, and he's who we'll spend the next few minutes with talking about his life. From the outside, huge rock star, amazing fame, doing good things for the kingdom. But what's happening behind the scenes to his life, to his marriage, and then to his vocal cords? And along for the ride, Haiti. Hope and a broken down pickup. How God answers prayer and meets you right where you are. So I guess there's perception and reality, which is fascinating for me. So my perception of audio adrenaline is amazing band and you're out and you're doing everything and all the fans are wanting to be where you are. But the reality was quite different, I guess. Yeah, it was a lot different. Um I mean, it was a dream come true to be an audio adrenaline. It was um, like we, that was a, that was the plan kind of, well, it was the dream, but it wasn't the plan. I never thought that this would happen in high school. I was like going to go to the air force Academy, you know, do something more predictable. I'd seen top gun. I saw top <laughs> Tom Cruise. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and then everything changed. Music started. I, I loved music, but I never dreamed that God would give me that dream. You know, that God was, I guess, good enough or faithful mm. enough or big mm. enough to make that happen. So I I was, you know, kind of said, I'm going to go this route, which is more predictable. Anyway, God said, nope, you're doing this thing. But in the midst of audio, we were a band that got signed off of uh, really a fake song. We, we had a rock and roll band that can never get a record deal. So we had two full-length records. We sent it to Forefront. They said, no, we don't want you. Then we recorded a rap metal song called My God, all right, that our friend of ours named Bob Herdman had written this poem. And he's like, ah, his aunt died. He got $1,500. And he's like, good news. I got fifteen. He goes, I want you to record this rap metal song. And um, I want you to write it. And our guitar player, Barry Blair, he kind of put it together. I wrote kind of the melody and did the rap. And that song got us a record deal. And we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we tried for years. So we came to Nashville. They didn't know we'd already submitted our demo. They thought we were a completely different band. So we just kept that hush-hush. They gave us a deal and we signed it. And we're like, you know, we've been trying to get a record deal for years with you guys. And they're like, what? <laughs> and... um. So the whole reason we started this band and got a record deal was kind of a card trick. It was like this thing that should have never really happened. And then they said, we want you to do, to be the heavier, more rock and roll version of DC Talk. And I'm looking around going, well, who's going to rap? Because I'm like, I'm a rock and roll guy. Yeah. So they're like, you're going to rap. And I'm like, well, our drummer quit because he doesn't even like this song. <laughs> And they're like, it's cool. We just want you to use a drum machine. That's the new thing. No drummer, just a drum machine. I'm okay. like, uh, okay. So literally, we kind of pieced together a band. We had these terrible demos, and our first record was horrible. 
and um, we almost got dropped. We went out with Jeff Moore in the distance, and the, you know people liked us because I think we were passionate, but mm. the music was like, eh. <laughs> um, then the second record had Big House on it, and then that just took off, and we ended up on tour with DC Talk on the biggest Christian rock kind of this explosive ride mm-hmm. and here we were duct taped together as a band and toby has the most perfection driven you know uh-huh. musical show that you can ever see you know there's multiple singers kevin and michael and toby they had more dancers than we had musicians in our <laughs> band and we were scared to death and we felt like somebody's gonna eventually find out that we're not that good <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened and uh we built we bought this box truck and put bunk beds in the back and drove around the country opening for dc talk and sold out arenas literally in the back of a u-haul truck wow yeah and um so we we felt like imposters mm. i guess because the way we got signed the fact that we weren't that good i was the only person that could sing in the band and i'm like and I was the first drummer. And I, I became a singer because we couldn't find anybody to play drums. I'm like, I'll do that. And then I'm like, why am I here? And then all of a sudden, you know, we could we saw God move. And um, when Big House came out, you know, youth groups started to attach themselves to us. And now looking back, I can see that they related to us because they felt like they're one of us. Mm. That... Hey, I, I I might not ever be good enough to be in DC Talks band, but I could certainly be an audio journalist. <laughs> and that's that's kind of how we felt. So we we felt like imposters a, a bit musically. We felt like the underdogs, and that kind of came out later in our mm-hmm. records and in our messaging. Never going to be as big as Jesus, but I think spiritually too. For me, I can't speak for the rest of the band, but you know, I always felt inadequate too. Just like I guess most people do when you're in a platform. Mm. And you're sharing the gospel. There, there's this tension of, man. I'm. I think the enemy just says you're, you're, you're hypocritical. You're unworthy. Mm. Uh, and he and he tries to take away the power of the Holy Spirit in your life by telling you're just not worthy to be on stage. And um, that I, I battle with that a lot. Um, and that came out in our music too. Mm. Like this, mm-hmm. this ongoing s- struggle of not being good enough you know i'm a preacher's kid so i dealt a lot with performance issues but anyway th- those were kind of the themes of audio a <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> well and then um things change and your voice yeah is the next part of it as the book says losing my voice to find it so yeah. um that had to have been super scary to get those initial diagnoses in. And- well, the, the the first thing, I lost my voice. I lost control of it. I, you can still hear it. I developed a vocal disorder, but I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't until after audio drilling was done that I was diagnosed with this disorder because my voice kept getting worse and worse. Mm. Okay, so I, I lost the ability to sing the high notes. You know, I love Steve Perry and Journey and, mm-hmm. you know, like all these old 80s rock and roll bands but i couldn't do it anymore um and then i started to actually lose control of the notes themselves like i I wasn't hitting notes and i did it was frightening because now i have multiple families relying on these two little vocal cords Mm -hmm. and it's not like you can get a new set of guitar strings (laughs) or a new drum head (laughs) well it's like this is it and you there's nothing 
literally just felt like I was losing control. Uh, not only of my voice, but my career, my ministry, uh, everything. Um, and yeah, it was really scary. I had, I was going to vocal coaches, vocal doctors at Vanderbilt, and no one could tell me what was wrong. People anointing my throat with oil, um, praying over me, and you know, God didn't do anything to my voice. In fact, He just let it diminish until it was gone. And then, you know, what seemed like just an instant, it took several years, but I lost my voice. I also lost my marriage. Um, you know, my dream to serve God, all that was wrapped up together. And literally was just bankrupt. Not not financially, but I mean, just more importantly, emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. Just like um, devastated. So I was sitting in a house in Franklin. Half the furniture is gone. My wife is gone. I had no kids. And I'm like, this is over. And I cried myself to sleep. And just woke up the next morning thinking... Well, it was all, it, I wasn't good enough. And it was, it was a, uh, I was an imposter, you know, maybe this was all just for nothing, you know? And then God showed up and in a miracle, uh, I asked him to start my truck in old Broncos. It was freezing cold. We were on tour, mercy me. And I was just like, this is horrible. My music has been a joke. And I'd written a song called A Good Life that, I, that I'd written for a buddy named Louis DeLuca years of, six years prior to this moment. He was going through a divorce. And he, he came to my house and he said, Mark, I've never been more devastated, more lonely, more heartbroken my whole life, but I've never been closer to Jesus either. And I'm like, wow. So I wrote this song called A Good Life for him. Like, I've lost everything that I could ever want or ever dream of. But now I've found everything I could ever need right here in the arms of Jesus. So this moment was the dark night of the soul for me. I walk out to my Bronco. My music career is over. I thought I was a, just a, a joke. My songs didn't mean anything. I asked God to start my truck because the battery wasn't working. And he started the truck. Boom. And then that song comes on comes on the radio, to the moment where the chorus, it's just like bam, this is the good life. I lost everything, and it was me singing to myself. And I, the, I there was ice on the windows. I scraped off the ice. I was like, someone put a CD in my CD player and cued it up to that song because they knew I needed to hear this message. And I thought it was Will, our bass player, because he loves me well <laughs> but he wasn't there and i'm like what what is going on and this song hasn't been on the radio for six years and um i looked at the station it was a christian station and the moment i asked god to start my truck he not only did that but he reminded me in that moment of how good he was because i was doubting his goodness i didn't doubt that he was there i didn't doubt that there was a heaven and i knew i was saved but i I was just like, you're not real good right now to me. And um, and I just, in that moment, his goodness was overwhelming. And he goes, Mark, I've got you. He goes, I'm, six years ago, you thought that song was for him, and it was for him. But it's also for this moment. And every moment of your life, I've got you in my hands. Everything is intentional. There's a story that I'm writing here. 
and it's all going to make sense. Just stick with me. And that's that was the turning point for my voice coming back. And, you know, it was in losing my voice and in losing control, this ultimate surrender of everything that I had, where I ultimately found out that God is good. And he's not just a, a judging father uh, in heaven, you know, providing us a way to, to someday get there. He's intimately involved in our stories and he's, he's intentional and he's romantic for us with these little notes and reminders of his goodness. So that's what this, this story is about as at the end of the day, I want people to read this and know that God's good and they have a daddy who runs the universe. And if you run the universe, you can live your life with no fear, you know, looking forward with absolutely no fear. And I, I love that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because personally, my wife and I talk about this a lot, the idea that sometimes we buy into this deal that if we do all the right things, and I think that's how we equate it sometimes. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do good, whatever that is, and then you're going to do your part, right? But yeah, exactly. there's no guarantees on that. Yeah. Well, I think we li- – yeah, you're exactly right. We, we plan our lives. I was – in audio drama, we were doing great ministry. God used it. But for me personally, there was a lot of control issues in it. Like I would look every week at the charts and be like, all right, how are we doing? Oh, it could ma- it ruined my whole week. And sometimes I would feel great. And I'd be like, oh, gosh. And then I would make decisions, and we got to do this, and here's what we got to do with our ministry. To get th- mm-hmm. And eventually mm-hmm. God was like, listen, this isn't about you at all. <laughs> and I realized, you know, through my life, I'm 51. When you look back, you, you can see God at work, but he won't suffer a marriage or a career or a ministry to get your attention. When when we look at God as a jealous God, that means all he wants from us is is our 100% complete attention. And he wants us to be intimate with him. And you can't be intimate when when you're playing God. He, he's on the periphery of your life. So you have to be desperate. So after I lost my voice, I started to go to Haiti to do mission work. My parents were missionaries there. And the real reason, well, I love Haiti. Haiti's always been a, a passion of mine. But no one there knew who I was at that point. So I, it wasn't like I was Mark Stewart, the failed Christian rock star, or the, the guy whose career tanked and marriage fell apart. They didn't know me at all from that. They just knew me as Mark, the son of a missionary. So that, that was part of an escape for me to just go there. And then what I didn't know uh, it consciously is I would forget about my the junk that I'd lost or the failures that I had or the I, I, what I would start to look around at the people around me who were just trying to survive one more day. How are we going to feed our kids tonight? How are we going to survive tomorrow? And then in that amongst the poorest of the poor, loving the least of these, I forgot about the stuff that really didn't matter in my own life. You know, they're not worried about their next hit song or checking sound scan and see how their records are doing. Right. They're just living life. And in the middle of that is Jesus began to re kind of, I guess, fire up my engines, you know, and, and, and take the attention off me. And it was just this kind of flushing of the system to where he got my attention. And, um, you know, Matthew 25 makes it clear. Jesus really waits for us among the least of these, the poor and the afflicted. And um, there's a special thing when you do that, 
that God shows up in a deep way. Worship music is beautiful. You're in the presence of God. But when you when you serve the poor and the needy, oh my gosh, you know, you you're in the presence of royalty and it, you're you're never the same after that. So in that, God started to rebuild my life and I, I started to trust him again. I ended up there during the earthquake, you know, one of the top ten disasters of the entire history of the planet. I was there. My wife and I were doing an adoption. I became a voice on, you know, different news channels around the world. And I, again, I didn't really notice it while I was there, but people were like, man, isn't it ironic that you who don't have a voice or lost their voice Mm -hmm. is now the voice of this, these people, you know, here and there and a generation of kids because of our fight for orphans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm like, wow. God, you know, you start to drift away from God's intentionality and the way he's in your life. But then when you, someone says, look at this. And you're like, wow, God is good. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> he just continues to write and just, and, and do incredible. He, he shows up. And if I could encourage listeners out there, when, when you look, really look at your life and you can look back, write down. Just write it down, journal it where God has showed up and done miracles in your life because there's, they're, they're there. And, uh, you might have to, you know, dig a little deeper, but that's the beauty of looking backwards. You get to see the, the true, uh, miracle moments where God showed up. So this book for me was that it was like a chance to look back and really just glorify God and how he showed up in a big way. So that would be an encouragement to me. The power of a testimony is there. Mm-hmm. Look back, see where God has showed up, and then you move forward with no fear. Life is hard and faith doesn't make it any easier. That's obviously a level of honesty that I think a lot of times, especially us here in the bubble, uh, don't, we don't want to hear that. Like, well, what do you mean? No, it's supposed to be all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> I got Jesus, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. Um, you know, I, life is hard for everybody. You know, you're going to go through hardships, um, but peace isn't the absence of, you know, hardship. Uh, peace is the presence of God in the middle of it. And uh, in fact, I think a lot of times God, like I said, won't suffer these a marriage or a loss of a child or what he, when he's looking at an eternal scale, your job really doesn't mean that much compared to your heart for him and his heart for you. So if he has to say, Hey, sorry, you're, you're worshiping your career. I'm going to make an adjustment here. And that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happened to me. And in the middle of that, you're like, man, I've been abandoned by God. I've been, I've, you know, he's, he's punishing me. And really all he's really doing is saying, Hey, I I need your attention. Look over here. Come back to me. Come back to me. This is where true life is right here. It's, you know, and that it's hard to always remember that, but that's, that's, uh, that's what this life is about as your, your life is just this continual path that's basically built to surrender to the cross. Um, until you finally take your last breath is that ultimate surrender. But really as a man and women, you know, as an adult, you just have to continue to, Hey, um, another day of surrendering to his path. And that's, that's where beauty and joy comes from. It's not from the absence of problems. It's from surrendering to, to him. 
that's always been I've always considered my verse to be uh, you know Philippians four eight when people talk about like what are what are the benefits if they want to reduce it down to like benefits yeah. and ROI it's like well I don't know but I guess do not be anxious about anything yeah. present your request the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus because yes uh, what Paul said you know help me to be content if I got a lot or if I got a little. Uh, you can't buy peace. <laughs> Wish you could. Yeah. You got to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> well, talk about this RV thing too. I mean, Mister Non-Traditional was the was the word, right? The non-traditional wow. one. <laughs> yeah, I saw that Robin Williams movie. I was like, man, I want to try that. <laughs> um, except for the the, uh, the, the toilet part, tank. yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've I've had my moments with that too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could tell you a really bad story that happened at the campsite, Fort Wilderness and Disney World. On this day, it was not the happiest place on earth, trust me. <laughs> it was bad. Um, anyway, you know, um, I needed a, I took two years off, really, to kind of work on this book and tell the story. A friend of mine, Roger Thompson, he he does movie scripts and writes books, and he's one of the guys that was like, I see God in your story like no other, and you got to tell it. And he goes, can I tell it with you? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we spent two years kind of just doing interviews and working on the on the book. But at the same time, I rented my house out here in Nashville. And me and my wife and my two kids, Journey and Crystal, and my wife's name is Aegis, we decided we're going to just spend every moment together. With They homeschool. They're um, both 12. Um and we we bought an RV and just started touring around, <laughs> and it was it was amazing. If you can do it, you can figure out a way to to make that crazy buck the system investment in your family. It's remarkable what happens. The closeness, the intimacy that you have is uh it's life changing, and it's you and your family kind of against the the you know, the elements yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, we, we would, we probably slept in a Walmart parking lot near you, you know, and if you're <laughs> out there somewhere, we visited 14, I think maybe 16 national parks. Wow. We hiked all kinds of mountain peaks and fished in rivers and jumped off waterfalls and made memories together as a family. And, um, that's one of the things that, that I'll never forget. It was one of the greatest things ever. We still travel a lot. We're, right now, we're kind of going back and forth. Okay. So about six months on the road, a lot of speaking, a lot of churches, and just visiting with people. But then we'll still spend three months like at, in Montana, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. kind of off the radar as a family. And it's been a godsend. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. We'll talk a little bit about what... Uh what having these adopted kiddos from Haiti has has meant for you? How how has that made you feel as a dad, as a husband? As well, it's the greatest gift of uh, you know you could ever have. Adoption's beautiful. Um, it you know I live with two miracles and I see them every day. And sometimes I I feel unworthy, you know, pretty much all the time uh, with these kids. They're um, they're phenomenal. They light up the room. One of the things that they've taught me is. Uh, is even though I'm a pretty good dad, they still, and my wife is an incredible mom, you know, they still struggle with a broken story. Sometimes they'll lay their head on a pillow at night and you can see them thinking about, well, what, how did I end up here? What happened? You know, and they're grateful and they, you know, they, and we're grateful to have them. But as a dad, I know that they still have this man, this broken foundation, you know, what, and some kids deal with trauma and attachment disorder, that stuff like that. But 
because of that and that burden that they, they that they carry, we as a family talk about that a lot, and that's why we fight so hard for kids that are right that have been abandoned because of poverty. Um, and we, you know, we have an, we have an organization called the Hands of Feet Project where we care for kids that have been abandoned and try to provide them with a family. But we also fight to preserve families, like Tooth and Nail, just out there saying, hey, "You can keep your." kids if we can just walk with you so we've made that a big passion of ours um kind of a soapbox is the church doesn't need to build more orphanages we need to build stronger families in developing nations and uh that can be done a lot cheaper more efficiently um and there's a lot of organizations that are doing great work so that's one of the things that god's using my voice for right now is pushing me in that direction to speak up for kids around the world and I wouldn't trade one day of fighting for family uh, to be back on stage singing Big Big House because I'm not just singing about it. I'm actually helping kids find a home.